I typically tell people, you know, that are looking to get started in medical offices, figure out some competitive advantage you have. And mine tended to be more knowledge from the inside standpoint, just having a lot of family members uh, in the medical, you know, community and also even in medical administration with my mother and other things. So had a lot of, you know, conversations with them about what they thought was happening. And that gave me a lot of confidence and knowledge and, and even the language to speak when I would go talk to um, tenants that, you know, they knew that I wasn't just some, you know, idiot that didn't know anything about medical space and how it was run and how, you know, the, their needs. Um, but I actually, you know, could talk the talk when I, when I had those conversations with them. So I'd say spend, spend some time figuring out what your competitive advantage is if your family members aren't in, in medical, like mine were, you know, maybe you have some other way of, of, uh, looking at things differently or understanding things differently. And I'd say focus on that first because ultimately, you know, that's really all that matters. Real estate is no different than anything else. It's if you don't have a competitive advantage over someone else, someone's going to outcompete you no matter how smart you are, no matter how hard you work. Welcome to Investing in the U.S., an Aussie's Guide to U.S. Real Estate, a podcast for international investors and real estate entrepreneurs looking to break into the U.S. market. G'day, g'day, guys, and welcome to another cracking edition of Investing in the U.S., an Aussie's Guide to U.S. Real Estate, the number one podcast geared towards educating investors and entrepreneurs who want to break into the U.S. market and start buying cash-flowing deals. From Los Angeles, I'm your host, Reed Goosens. Good as always to have you with us on the show. Now, as you know, it is my job to explore, dissect, and interview the cream of the crop when it comes to real estate investing here in the United States. And the reason that I do that is so I can educate you guys, so you guys can go out and make the right decisions when it comes to investing for cash flow to create long-term wealth and financial freedom. If you are new to this show, then welcome. I welcome you to this show and I encourage you to go back and start from the beginning and work your way through each and every episode and listen to the incredible content that my guests have given to this show. You can find this show on all the platforms, SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, Google Play, wherever you podcast, I will be. Remember to hit subscribe and each and every week you'll be notified when the latest cracking episode is launched. Before we dive into today's show and I introduce you to the cracking entrepreneur, remember that I do have a free ebook. And if you want to get your hands on this free ebook, it is pretty simple. Firstly, all you need to do is jump on iTunes and leave the show a review. It helps to show iTunes that we're creating an awesome community of entrepreneurs who want to learn more about investing here in the United States. Once you've left that comment, on iTunes, shoot me a screenshot of that comment to info, that's I-N-F-O at rsnpropertygroup.com. And in return, I will send you my brand spanking new ebook called The Art and Science of Raising Capital Like a Pro, The 4P Rule. And it is the book, a very simple ebook, which is set up to change your mindset about the benefits of raising capital to start going out and getting more deals done. And the four Ps are pretty simple. It is professionalism. It is pitch practice and patience. Those four Ps are the things that I've seen in myself and in other successful syndicators who go out and raise capital successfully. Remember, if you want to get your hands on this free ebook, jump on iTunes, leave the show a five-star review, then shoot me the screenshot at info at rsnpropertygroup.com. Also, remember, spots are filling up really quickly in my mentorship program here in 2017. And if you want to start learning about how to successfully close on your first multifamily deal, then this mentorship program is for you. I walk you through the A to Z of multifamily investing, from analyzing and choosing the right markets, to building your right team, to close, how to 
close on a deal and obtain the best financing. And to top it all off, I give you the tools to start raising capital successfully as a newbie so you can get more deals done and you can grow your net worth. I help you establish your inner key person of influence and help you create a cracking personal brand. If you are interested in taking that next step and you want to get involved in my mentorship program, it's pretty easy. Again, shoot me a email at info, I-N-F-O at rsnpropertygroup.com and put in the subject line, mentorship program. Okay, lastly, if you do have any comments or feedback for this show, I love hearing from my loyal listeners. And the easiest way you can do that is jump on my website at rsnpropertygroup.com forward slash podcast. And remember to leave some comments in the show section of any of the shows that you do like. I love hearing from you guys. It helps me create an even better show and it helps me motivate to you know create, giving you the best content that I possibly can. So you guys can go out there and start successfully investing here in the United States. All right, guys, let's get cracking and into today's show. Today on the show, I have the pleasure of speaking with Mark Messiah. Mark founded Messiah Development over 10 years ago, which is a real estate investment company focused on investing in medical office buildings, retail, multifamily, and small industrial buildings. Messiah Development believes that successful real estate investing is the result of a disciplined approach in identifying stable risk adjustment returns that that have long-term upside. They have over $500 million of real estate assets under management across eight states, but enough out of me let's get mark out here g'day mark welcome to the show how are you doing today mate great thanks where are you dialing in from uh, i'm in boston today nice nice what are you doing up there anything special uh just uh nope just hanging out <laughs> getting some work done yeah nice man hey um i wanted to let get you know everyone to get a little bit more understanding of what you or your background so can you elaborate a little bit about and how you you know came and started messiah developments and what made you get involved in real estate investing uh you know from the beginning yeah, um, my family had always had an interest in real estate, but didn't really um, know how to get started. Uh, my parents were always, you know, interested in in the physical structures of buildings and and construction projects and stuff like that. And my parents tried to do some small stuff uh, on their own. My dad's a doctor, and my mom uh, runs his medical practice, so um, had no actual experience in it. And so that kind of got like the bug in my ear that it was an interesting thing. And you know, kind of grew up going into real estate projects and stuff like that. Um, so I was always kind of interested, but didn't really know how to do it when I was in college, you know, unlike today where there's all kinds of degrees you can major in real estate. That wasn't a thing when I was in college. And so, uh, majored in small business cause I knew I had sort of an entrepreneurial bent and was interested in, in that. Um, and got lucky when I was finishing, uh, I did a five year program. So three years undergrad and two years master's degree. And, and while I was finishing my master's degree, kind of was working as a realtor trying to get started in the business. And uh, that was the only thing I knew about real estate. And so got lucky and, and found a, a developer and, um, you know, basically got lucky and he offered me a job. So so that's kind of how I stumbled into it that, that way. Nice, man. Uh, and how long have you been in ever since then? Have you been involved with Messiah Development or did it take a little bit of time to build up to getting the confidence to go out and break, branch out on your own? Yeah, no, I, I wish I'd started right away. I mean, <laughs> obviously it would have been a lot further along, but no, it took me, uh, took me five years to work for other people before I figured I had enough kind of at least basic knowledge to start the company. And, and like you said, a lot of it was self-confidence aspects. So yeah, definitely took a little while. Nice. All up in the Northeast region of the United States. 
Uh, yeah, from DC to New York, those were kind of my two markets that I that I focused on while I was working for other people. Yep. Nice, nice. Well, mate, let's dive into the nuts and bolts of today's show, which is investing in medical office building. It sounds like with your your dad's profession and your mum helping your dad out, that it kind of seemed like a natural progression. But I I know I haven't covered. What I you know I, I know them they're also called MOBs medical office buildings on this show. Um, <laughs> yeah. So how does one get started in in MOBs as an asset class? Because it's you know a lot of people who listening to this show go to real estate investing seminars and 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 I don't think I've ever been to a seminar where it says how to get started in, in medical office buildings. I, I feel like it's a little bit more of the harder niche to get into. It would, would, would that, is that a correct assumption? Yeah, I mean, I don't know hard. It's just not as well focused on. I mean, I believe if you find the how to get started in MOV, I'm, I'm interested in taking that class myself, I guess. It's not <laughs> not really like a very straightforward answer to that question. But yeah, I mean, it's definitely not, you know, sort of like self-storage was three, four years ago where nobody was really talking about it, but it was an industry that was doing pretty well. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of people that are, that are talking about medical office, but it's usually the larger players. Uh, it's, you know, not not typically your smaller business player. Right. So to, to maybe walk us through that first deal, how did you say, okay, well, um, I've, I'm working for this real estate developer and maybe you can correct me on some, what I'm about to summarize here, but, and then you, you started Messiah Developments. Did you do any other asset classes before getting into MOBs or was it a, just a straight, jump straight in there because of uh, your parents' background? No, yeah, it definitely wasn't a straightforward path. Um, you know, we started actually, my career was almost exclusively in mixed use. So multifamily with uh, with retail below. Um, and I was doing mostly development. So ground up work for, um, you know, constructing projects that that didn't exist before. Um, and I, I loved it. It's a you know very creative, exciting part of the business. But it's not it's not great if you're the person kind of running that business as opposed to just getting a salary because it's so volatile. Um, you can make you know, hundred million dollars one year and then lose 150 the next year. And it's not, not, not great to kind of scale a business that way. So when I started my company, um, I didn't really want to focus that much on the development sort of volatility aspect of things. Um, I wanted to focus more on a slow and steady approach to, you know, wealth building and, and portfolio creation. And so, uh, we started doing, you know, student housing, multifamily stuff that I had had experience with in the past. Um, but found that it wasn't real scalable for our um, business model in the sense of, you know, we want it to be nationwide. We have uh, at the time and still do now worked with uh, a bunch of family offices that were looking to diversify their portfolio. So they had a lot of holdings in the New York and, and D.C. area and didn't want to buy anything more in that area. And so when you try to scale multifamily outside of a single market, it's very difficult um, in, in our experience, at least. And so we started looking at other asset classes uh, and first started focusing on retail since that's where I had experience. Um, but quickly, as we were delving into the retail sector, realized that there was a lot more medical in the space than had been previously with a lot of these uh, urgent care facilities or just general doctor's offices that are using the sort of retail uh, layout and footprint, um, you know, because that's good parking access, uh, stuff like that. And so we started getting a lot more medical tenants and then started saying, well, you know, these are great tenants and, you know, they stay for a long time. And then, like you alluded to, uh, use some of my family background to um, tie into, you know, what what would make what would make medical office uh, attractive and, and vice versa from an investment standpoint. Um, you know, it's not just my father, my, my cousin's a, a PA, my uncle's a doctor, my wife's a doctor. So had a decent amount of knowledge to kind of bounce some ideas off of them and say, you know, what are you guys seeing medical trends wise, uh, for office use? 
um, you know, my, my dad and my uncle own their own offices and have for, you know, decades. So kind of got their feel for what that looked like on a return basis. So that kind of helped us stumble into our first deal, but that's kind of the background from where we got started to actually investing in medical office. No, that's a, that's a great summary. And I think, um, you know, having, you're right that, you know, you, you briefly touched on ground up construction is, can be sexy and can be great with a creative process, but it also is very, very volatile. And having a, uh, you know, a long wealth building strategy, like investing in existing assets, uh, is, is probably key to your success today. Uh, and then it sounds like you just sort of stumbled into the retail, you're buying retail, and then that just morphed into having tenants, which happened to be uh, doctors, is correct? Is that, is that, was that right? Yeah, that that's kind of how it first got started. Exactly. Yep. So what size retail? Like, you know, when I think of an MOB, I think of the large, you know, institutional scale on a campus where you're walking around a different, you know, buildings and, and they might be, you know, tied in with a university. So what type of um, what size of retail were you investing in at the beginning? And have you made that transition into that larger sort of campus feel style MOBs? Right. Yeah. We don't really focus on large transaction size. I mean, when I was working for other people, you know, I was doing $500 million deals in New York City and stuff. So definitely have the experience of that and and just kind of realize that, um, you know, the larger we get, the more competition there is from other sources of capital that that a lot of times are, are you know, have lower return requirements than we do. Um, one, and then two, you know, our, our whole strategy is focused on, you know, competitive advantage and where we have the best competitive advantage in our experience is, you know, sort of playing above the local mom and pop players in most markets, but below the institution. So we really typically focus sub $10 million assets. Um, you know, in some markets, you have to focus even smaller because even 10 million is too large for some of the markets that we focus on. Um, but, you know, to answer your question, Briefly, I mean, it's sort of like in the 20,000 uh, square foot size range. Uh, I mean, obviously, some are 50 and 70,000 and some are 10,000. It really depends. But that that average is probably in the five million dollar range and sort of in that in that you know, 20 to 30,000 square foot is our sort of average typical center. Yep. Yep. I'm sort of uh, envisaging a retail strip mall with, uh, with par- as you say, parking at the front and, you know, a, a medical office building um, in, in the back. So, so pretty easy for, you know, people to access uh, the, the services. What, talk to me a little bit about how you're adding the value to these types of buildings. Are they a existing retail and you're flipping into an MOB or is it an MOB that you're going in there and tweaking the knobs and making it operate more efficiently and smoothly and increasing that NOI? Yeah, I mean, our, our strategy is much more of a long, you know, long hold, long, long value add play. So we're not like going in and focusing on something that's, you know, 20 percent occupied and filling it up with a bunch of medical tenants and then selling it. Um, you know, our, our typical portfolio is 75 percent plus occupied already when we buy it. Um, so it's more of a relative value play. We, we look at where there's undervalued uh, assets or undervalued markets or things where we can sort of buy at a, at a good price on a going in basis and then look to over time do the, that value. So it'll be as tenants roll, you know, are there medical tenants that we know that can fill that space or, you know, is there a way we can make it more attractive to medical users? I mean, what we found was that retail um, was sort of a backdoor entry into medical office initially because you know, it has a lot of the, the characteristics that are very attractive to medical office, but we have subsequently focused um, on both. So we do have some that are 
exclusively already uh, medical office and some that are exclusively retail um, and, and trying to bring the hybrid to the two of those. So a lot of our medical office portfolio happens to be single story, uh, happens to have good parking, good visibility, good access. So it could be used as retail and vice versa with our, our retail portfolio. You know, typically we don't do second story retail, you know, where there's sometimes office or some kind of mixed use component there. And, and a lot of it, you know, comes down to visibility and, and access for both, both tenants. I mean, you know, when you're dealing with the elderly population from a medical office standpoint, they typically don't want elevators, you know, so they, they don't want to wait for it. They don't want to have to deal with it. And so the, the, the more common aspect is sort of roll in off the street, walk into the doctor's office, have plenty of parking so they don't have to fight for a space. All that kind of stuff ties in real well with, with both, both aspects of uh, you know, retail and medical office. Interesting. And this sort of this next question bleeds into how do you find these deals and, and what are you looking for when you, when you look to, to take over? You sort of mentioned that you want to take over at 70 to 80 percent occupancy so are those people that you're targeting for for sellers are they mum and pop type of owners of those existing assets that you can then go in and, and as i said make tweak those knobs and make create a better more efficient uh noi yeah often it's a it's a long-term owner someone who's owned the property for a real long time and just either hasn't put a lot of money in or hasn't signed a lot of new leases because of um, you know, so maybe 70, 75 percent or 80 percent occupied, but um, may have a lot of release roll coming up in the next three to five years because they just haven't been successful in in renewing a lot of their tenants or paying attention to how their lease roll. Um, so so they've added a lot of risk to the deal without really thinking about it and and not because they're not intelligent or any of those things. It's just, you know, they're not they're not professional owners in the most case. They're, they own one or two buildings. You know, they may have stumbled into the ownership. A lot of times we buy a lot of property from. Um, you know, trust and estates, people that, you know, their parents have owned the property and they came into ownership of it because of a death or some sort of transition in the family. Um, and, and that's a pretty typical opportunity for us where we can step in and say, hey, this is, you know, our full time thing. This is what we do. We'll give you a, a good fair price. But, you know, we think we can run the asset better. Obviously, we wouldn't say that to them. But that's that's kind of the the scenario that we're looking at. It's It's usually something that, you know, has been undermanaged. I don't want to say mismanaged because that's not really fair. But um, you know, something where we just think we can add a little bit more value or look at it in a different way in terms of some of the tenants that we have relationships with, we may be able to bring into the market, um, that aren't there. Some of the, some of the medical, uh, groups are now starting to be at least regional, if not national, um, in terms of their, their space allocation. So, so that's kind of what we try to focus on. That's, that's, that's awesome. And, and so just to summarize that you're looking for a, a more efficient management plan and you will actually be looking to your existing relationships with medical providers to bring them into a new market. And that sort of maybe gives you your competitive advantage. Yes. Yes, definitely. That I mean, also, honestly, it's just knowledge of like what is attractive to those types of users. So some places, you know, some some owners are cash strapped and they try to get away with like low tenant improvements uh, or, you know, possibly not paying leasing commissions, trying to do the leasing themselves. So, you know, that whether that comes down to management or whether that just comes down to knowledge of the marketplace, you know, we we just offer a package that's very attractive to users, sort of a turnkey, you know, medical office um, solution so that, you know, and the floor plans that we offer them, you know, like we'll go through an architect and say, here's what, what it would look like and sort of pre-plan it for, for a medical office use. Some of those types of things, which is just a little bit more forward thinking that help, um, you know, cause a lot of these, a lot of these medical office users, even if they're a larger institution, 
um, you know, hospital system, a lot of times it's hard for them to imagine what it would look like when it's just raw space. If you can kind of plan it out ahead of time and give them a sort of, this is what it will look like rendering kind of thing. They can easily (laughs) see how they're going to step into it and make it, make it a good fit for them. No. And that probably brings into your background with uh, ground up construction, correct? And and this is more probably what a a TI or a tenant improvement. Um, but do do you, do you offer that to your, to your tenants or is it a sort of an add on, um, as types of the service that Messiah Development brings to the table. I'm sorry, when you said offer it to my tenants. So, you know, like if you say when you're moving in, you know, you want to attract the, the, the highest and best tenant to your space. Mm-hmm. And, and as you said, you sort of some tenants, tenants can struggle to uh, visualize what the space is going to look like when it's just a, a raw white shell uh, offering that sort of secondary well, we're going to execute on the TI for you so you don't have to lift as much of, you know, you don't have to lift a finger and, and, and for that right. we'll, we'll charge you, you know, a, a small fee or whatever it might be. And that's a psycho like a secondary business that you've created out of just making sure you're attracting the right type of tenant to your building. Absolutely. It's really more of a loss leader. Honestly, we'll, we'll do a lot of that work, um, in her in-house or hire a third party an architect, spatial planner, and just kind of use it as a, as like a marketing tool almost. So we don't necessarily say like, you know, here's our cost and pay us a fee on top of that. It's just sort of like, Hey, if you want the space, we can make it work perfectly for you. Here's some ideas, call our architect and and have them change it to your specifications. And Mm -hmm. then, you know, usually by investing that time and money, the, the tenants are pretty well committed after that. Nice, nice. Talk to me a little bit about how the cap rates and and how you know I, I talk a little bit on this show about multifamily and you know we're in cap rates investing in you know tier two cities and they're you know around six to eight percent. What are you seeing in the MOB industries? And and the second question to that is where are you investing? What types of markets are you investing in to get the cap rates that will you know produce the cash on cash returns for your investors? Right. Yeah. You know, it's been interesting. I mean, you know, we, even though we haven't done multifamily in the last uh, sort of five to six years, you know, we've been very, very actively following it because a lot of our legacy portfolio is in uh, multifamily. So we, we've sold some things and, and looked at a lot of things in terms of replacement stuff. Um, and it's funny, like in the industry recently, it seems like everything is pretty much followed. It depends on what's the hot, you know, item of the moment. And so single tenant, uh, stuff was sort of following after multifamily in terms of what was the hot product. And then the cap rates compressed, you know, kind of nationwide. Um, and medical office was sort of right after that. I mean, medical office is, you know, because of the aging population of baby boomers and, and all the types of sort of just more spending in healthcare, people believe long-term that's, that's what's going to continue to happen. It kind of became the next logical play. So we saw a similar sort of cap rate compression that you saw in the multifamily. We just followed you guys about two years later. So um, there was still more opportunity there um, at higher cap rates than there were in multifamily. Um, but eventually we kind of all caught up to that same sort of range of six to eight percent is sort of what you're seeing in in uh, the medical office space as well. Um, and and because of that, you know, we we've always focused on secondary tertiary markets. Um, you know, the primary markets have just been since we started the company basically too hot uh, to meet the return return requirements that we you know, are looking for. Even with the downturn, uh, you know, the last uh, 2008, 2009 sort of downturn that happened, a lot of those markets didn't really reprice. They just didn't sell. So even at that time when we thought we'd be able to find good bargains in the primary markets, they just weren't there. Um, 
because people just held on and you know hoped that they would work it out and a lot of them did so some of them lost their property to to the bank but a lot of them worked it out and so we've just continued our, our strategy of focusing on secondary tertiary cities. Um, you know, for us, it's the, it's more about the demographics, uh, long term trends. So we'll look back at a 10 year trend and say, you know, hasn't been growing over that past 10 years. Obviously, it's not going to grow like a primary city in terms of you know. 20%, 30% growth. Um, but you know, something that's sort of slow and steady growth, uh, isn't declining, isn't o- just all aging population. You know, some new people are younger, uh, families are starting there. Um, there's diversity in the job population. So, you know, a lot of that stuff that just, we believe creates a sustainable economic community. That's what we're looking for. And those secondary tertiary markets, there's a lot of really great ones out there. Um, and you can, you know, you buy better cap rates. Uh, a lot of things are, are sort of easier from a return perspective. You do make a lot of trades, which I'm sure you've talked about a lot in terms of, you know, your, your liquidity in that market is significantly lower. Um, you know, lot, lots less transactions happen in those markets than in a primary market. But, you know, if you can find a good property, you can usually get it at a much better yield than you would in, you know, most of those other markets. Yeah, that's that's very interesting, and sort of leads me to the next question, which is associated with risk and, and moving forward uh, in the MOB space. So, talk to me a little bit about risk and how you manage that, and and I guess from a point of view, you sort of just touched on it briefly of the aging population, secondary and tertiary markets, but then you have the other side of when you do want to come and sell an asset, you may not have the liquidity, or you may not sell as quickly as you'd like to give a return to your investors. So, how do you try to manage all that? Um, as a, as a real estate investment company, given where we are in the market cycle right now. Yeah. You know, it, I tell my investors this all the time and and I, I follow it myself. So it's like, you know, timing the market is an impossible task. I, I couldn't tell you if the market's going to crash tomorrow or five years from now, or if we peaked, you know, a year ago, I, I, I couldn't tell you and I don't try. Um, because ultimately it's like timing the stock market. You know, if you try to time it, you're, you know, sort of never going to be able to get anywhere close. Um, and if you could, you'd, you'd be a lot richer and wouldn't, wouldn't be needing to do anything else for anyone. Right. You just do that. So what, what we do is, you know, we say like, if you came into $10 million today, would you invest it all in the real estate market today? No, just like I wouldn't invest it all in the stock market today. But over time, you know, if you have a lot of our investors, you know, put in a hundred thousand dollars or more with us every year and and have done so for the past many years and probably hopefully will do so into the future. I think that's the strategy is like if you have a hundred thousand dollars now and you have another hundred thousand dollars a year from now and so on and so on. Um, yes, investing in, in the real estate market, it's a great opportunity because, you know, 20 years from now, 10 years from now, whatever it is, the price of today's market, even if it is the peak, is going to be higher, you know, just like the stock market. Um, and that's the t- attack that we take. We're not trying to time it and figure out when the perfect opportunity arises from a valuation standpoint. We're trying to find good value on a relative basis based on where we are in the market and what we're seeing. Um, and that's where we use the sort of, you know, from your risk question, that's where we use the relative value strategy where we say like, okay, you know, uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma may be undervalued as compared to, um, you know, Charleston, South Carolina or, or some other market. And we say, okay, well, we can buy the same type of credit, the same type of tenants, the same type of property in Tulsa. So let's do that because on a relative value, the basis uh, is, is lower there and, and our returns could be higher uh, given the same sort of risk profile. Um, but, you know, aside from that, I think it's, it's very tough to, to figure out exactly right. when, when the right <laughs> opportunity arises. 
And the other risk that that we you know we try to mitigate is a diversity. You know, we we offer our investors a pretty low minimum compared to many others. In which case, you know, people can invest in ten deals of ours for what most times they can invest in one deal with other people, and that we believe is important both for us and for others. So we're we're looking at you know fifty fifty all fifty states uh, nationwide. You know, we're looking at all different types of markets. We're looking at retail and medical office. So we're trying to provide diversity in our portfolio, in our investment strategy, and to our actual individual investors by not forcing them to have you know, $250,000 minimums or something like that, where they may right. only be able to invest in one property. We try to let them, even within our own portfolio, spread that across multiple properties. That's awesome. And with the identification of t- t- secondary and tertiary markets, uh, I know for multifamily, you know, we're looking at employment and you know, population growth uh, and certain other metrics. What are you looking for in when it comes to MOBs? And and, I, and I'm sure I've sort of I'm going to answer the question here is the aging population that 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 sort of baby boomers who are coming to retire. Does that play a major factor um, uh, as well as affordability in, in a particular market? Yeah, absolutely. It does. I mean, you want to make sure that they have a, the ability to age in place. So you want to have support services, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, uh, aged communities, things like that, or, or nursing homes, you know, facilities that allow them to sort of stay in their in their community. Um, but also, like I said, having family around. I mean, a lot of times if you don't have young family moving to the area, the older, the elderly will move to the place where their family is. Um, so may move out of that community. So from a secondary tertiary standpoint, you know, we need to make sure that those support, um, family members as well as services are there. Um, and then the hospital systems obviously are very important as well. We want something that's, you know, not a hyper competitive market. Some of these markets you go into, they still have four or so hospital systems in these reasonably small markets. And, you know, there's going to be a consolidation and a shakeup. It's just not enough. Uh, even in, even in primary markets, you see it, you know, markets like Boston or New York where, um, you know, there used to be seven or eight hospital systems are now whittling down to two, three, and probably eventually would be probably more like two in most of those even large areas. So, you know, if you see a lot of hospitals in those markets, it, that, that tends to concern us in terms of their, their competition with each other, because there's just, there isn't enough, uh, economy of scale to support multiple systems. Um, you know, m- more than two, I would say typically, I mean, you could have three in a larger market, but typically speaking, it's going to be very difficult to survive on that, on that economic scale. Sure. And how does the, you know, you turn on any any news channel and, and healthcare in America is the number one topic that people are talking about, Obamacare, Trump care, all that sort of stuff. How does that affect you as an investor uh, and investment company with, with MOBs and, um, you know, smaller, uh, you know, doctors and, and small doctors groups that, that will own, you know, tend to rent their own spaces and, and take it under their own management wing to offer medical services to a community? And, and how does that play into a Trump care or an Obamacare type of um, system that we have here in the United States? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I don't have much perspective on what other countries really offer and certainly not as much as you would having come from from another country and whatnot. But, um, you know, for our country here, I mean, Obamacare, Trump care, whatever, you know, sort of political spectrum sort of doesn't matter. I mean, ultimately, what that all means is that people are people have health care and they and they are probably going to have more health care and more access to health care. Um, rather than less. And, uh, you know, most of what we're dealing with is mainstream and, and it's only growing in terms of, you know, we're living longer and, and things like that. And so even as the healthcare system changes and the economics of it changed drastically as it has over the last 20 years and probably will continue to do so more in the next 20 years, 
it's sort of irrelevant that the faces change, the players change, you know, what you get changes, who provides you what you get change. You know, it used to be a lot more um, true primary care medical doctors. Now there's a lot more physicians assistants and, and nurse practitioners and stuff. So, you know, lowering the healthcare costs in some respects change a lot of things, but in a lot of ways they don't change much, you know, in terms of we're still getting more healthcare, we're still living longer. Those things are all, all the same. So I don't think any of this political stuff really matters that much, um, at least from from a medical office standpoint. Got it. No, I think that makes a lot of sense. And that you know, in general, we're all we're, we're all moving towards a you know more healthcare, living longer. So there's going to need to be space for people to provide that type of service to an aging population. So from a risk point of view, in your mind, it sounds like it's there's not it doesn't really matter if it's Trump care, Obamacare, whoever care. It's it's all it's all going in the same direction. And that is up for, right, right. for people who are covered for 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 medical health issues and stuff like that. Um, and, and cosmetically, right? I mean, you right. see a lot of people that that who are just cash payers too, and you, so you may spend more of your income on health, but you know, health is the only thing that matters, especially as you get older. Right? If you don't have that, you don't have anything. It's not worth buying a Ferrari if you can't drive it because you're not well enough. You know that kind of thing. Uh, Mark, what's the best piece of advice you can give someone who maybe wants to start out in uh, in MOBs? And the second part to that question is we didn't really touch on, which is how do you find your deals and are you using broker relationships um, to, to get you access to those deals? Yeah. I mean, we, we love brokers, um, especially good brokers are worth their weight in gold. Um, you know, they're, they're more rare these days than I wish they were, but definitely use brokers a lot. Um, a lot of it tends to become even word of mouth brokers where, you know, we've worked with someone that they know. And so they'll come to us sort of an early look, uh, especially cause we're dealing in, you know, less liquid markets. So, you know, if they know that we can execute and, and, and whatnot, we've kind of built a reputation around that, which has been important to us. Um, but we also, you know, we do, we do a lot of the traditional things to find, you know, quote unquote off market deals. I hate that, that term in general, <laughs> cause there isn't anything off market, but, uh, but you know, you know, we do mailing stuff to markets that we really like and focus on or stuff that we own already. Um, we have our leasing uh, staff talk to, uh, when their tenants are going to other properties, you know, what, talk to those owners about, you know, what, what are they doing about possibly selling? Um, our attorneys have been real great on, you know, trust and estate side of, uh, transactions that are probably going to occur as deaths happen. So, you know, we have a lot of different kind of avenues, but nothing that earth shattering. It's not like I have some, you know, magic bullet that no one else <laughs> knows about. I mean, I'm doing a lot of the same things that everybody else is doing, right. um, you know, which cover a lot of markets so that we're able to get, um, transactions. You know, it's harder when you focus on one specific market, um, to find it because, you know, it's if the, that market is there's no transactions this month then you can't force something that's, that's not there. Um, so we're lucky in that way to cover a bunch of different places. Um, so as far as the kind of best <laughs> advice to find deals, I mean, I think more importantly than, than finding the transaction is knowing like what what your competitive advantage is to that transaction. Um, so I typically tell people, you know, that are looking to get started in medical offices, figure out some competitive advantage you have. And mine tended to be more knowledge from the inside standpoint, just having a lot of family members uh, in the medical you know, community and also even in medical administration with my mother and other things. So had a lot of, you know, 
conversations with them about what they thought was happening. And that gave me a lot of confidence and knowledge and, and even the language to speak when I would go talk to um, tenants that, you know, they knew that I wasn't just some you know idiot that didn't know anything about medical space and how it was run and how, you know, the, their needs. Um, but I actually, you know, could talk the talk when I when I had those conversations with them. So I'd say spend spend some time figuring out what your competitive advantage is if your family members aren't in in medical like mine were, you know, maybe you have some other way of of uh, looking at things differently or understanding things differently. And I'd say focus on that first because ultimately, you know, that's really all that matters. Real estate is no different than anything else. It's if you don't have a competitive advantage over someone else, someone's going to outcompete you no matter how smart you are, no matter how hard you work. So I'd say focusing on figuring out what that is and then focusing on how to improve it is, is the most important thing. Right. And it also sounded like at the beginning of the show when you, you said that you had a bit of a natural pr progression from retail into a tenant who was more stable, which happened to be a medical office provider, um, which may also be some sort of you know hybrid transition, you know, stepping stone sort of thing from retail into MOBs eventually, right? Yeah. Definitely. Cool, mate. Well, look, um, I it's been awesome, and I want to be uh, you know conscious of your time. So I always like to end the show with the, uh, you giving me your top five investing tips. You ready to get into it? Absolutely. Let's do it. All right, mate. What's the daily habit that you practice to keep on track towards your goals? Yeah, I mean, I have two: one physical, one mental. Uh, physical, I try to run, clears my head. Uh, you know, so I do that every day, you know, three to five miles. Um, and then mental, I, I tend to write down a lot of kind of the things that are going on in my life and, and, you know, try to think about the things that are good, things that are bad, things that I like to change and just kind of write it down. Cause then I can kind of forget it. If it's just jumbled around in my head, I feel like until I get it on a page, it just stays there. So that, that helps me kind of <laughs> congeal my thoughts onto, onto paper. Yeah. It's funny how much running can, can clear the mind and then, you know, it clears the mind, but then you also have stuff up there that needs to be put down on the paper, as you just said. And so it gets it out of your mind and you don't have to stress about it and then go for a exactly. run. And then you've, you've, exactly. <laughs> you've got no stress, right? That's pretty much what it is. Free, free. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Mark, who's the most influential person in your career to date? Yeah, it's really tough. There have been so many. I mean, obviously, I wouldn't be here without 50 million people in my right. life. But I think uh, from an investing standpoint or from a company uh, you know, operations standpoint, it's been the family office that mm -hmm. that kind of helped me get my start. And, you know, they taught me basically everything I know about, you know, how to invest and, you know, not not focusing on the short term Um focusing on the cash flow aspects of real estate instead of the, you know, traditional development or flipping aspects that I had previously been focused on. Um, so I think that has been the most influential in terms of, and also like leveling, leveling me out. You know, they, they have three, four generations of real estate investors. Um, and so to, to see that and say, you know, oh, this is nothing new. Cause I, you know, when you're starting, everything feels like, oh my God, this is the end of the world and nothing like this has ever <laughs> happened. And, you know, so to talk to them and say, see their thoughts on things and be like, yeah, you know, this is a little different, but it's basically the same thing that's happened the last three or four cycles and yada, yada. It just helps, helps you understand and keep things in perspective. That's been the best thing. Cause you know, you really, you really lose a lot of that anxiety when you can keep perspective on the long run like that. And it's helped an immense amount. 
I, I, I kind of relate to that because when you're getting started in, in real estate, it's always like, go, 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 go. If you don't get this deal now, you're never going to get another deal ever again in your entire right. life. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. Or, or a deal doesn't work out, you know, something bad happens and right. you're like, my career is over and they're like, you know, we've had a million bad deals. Like you can't be perfect. And it's like, okay, that, that makes a lot, a lot more sense. <laughs> Mate, what's the most influential tool in your business? I'm sure you'd have to have one that helps you crank out these MOBs uh, on a, on a monthly basis. Yeah, I'd say the, the CRM, like our whatever customer resource management or whatever they stand for. Now mm -hmm. I forget, but the, the, the ability to manage a lot of contacts is really difficult. I mean, you know, between investors that we work with or potential investors or property owners or tenants. I mean, we just have so many contacts that are constantly um, meeting. And, you know, that's kind of most of my job is is pressing the flesh and getting out there and doing meetings. And, you know, it's really bad if you forget, you know, somebody you met with two weeks ago, anything about them, like their kids names or anything. And it's just so hard. I'm really, really good at names and faces. But even even that knack is not enough when you're dealing with the, the volume of people. And, you know, it matters to people. And so even though they know that you may not have memorized it off the top of your head, if you have to look it up, I mean, the fact that you took the time to look it up, who they are and, and you know, the notes that you had from the last meeting, I think means a lot to people. And, and I try to, you know, focus on that. So that's been hugely helpful because I couldn't do it without that tool. Who do you, uh, what, what software do you use? I actually use Insightly. Um, you know, I started using it back when we didn't have any money to buy a tool and it was free. And, you know, now we have the paid version, but I, I still like it the best because I'm the most familiar with it. I know there's Salesforce and all kinds of more powerful ones, but it, it does what I need it to do. And, and it, it's helpful. Awesome. Uh, mate, what's been the biggest failure to date and what have you, what the lessons learned from that failure? Um, yeah, we, I've spoken about it before, but it, you know, it's kind of the most painful failure is, uh, you know, deal that didn't work out. Um, we, you know, during basically at the, at the goal line at, at purchase, the seller got squirrely from the bank backing out and not wanting to give us more time. And, you know, we lost hundreds of thousands of dollars and it was, you know, at the time I thought it was the worst thing that ever happened to me. Right. Um, you know, luckily I've, like I've said before, I didn't, didn't lose any investor money, which was the most important thing to me that, you know, I, the first most important thing is investors didn't lose money. Second most important thing would have been that I didn't lose any money. Unfortunately, <laughs> the second one happened. The first one didn't. So I'll take it. Um, but but ultimately, you know, it's kind of one of those confidence builders of, you know, if you can survive that, you know, you can make it through kind of anything at that point. You know, in, in the beginning, if I had lost, you know, 10 grand, I would have been out of business. Now the ability to lose that amount of money and still, you know, make it through to the other side is is very important um, to me in terms of a confidence builder. But it also, you know, from a lessons learned standpoint, I mean, it's working with people that we know have the ability to execute if there's concerns. Um, you know, this bank we were dealing with all along and I kind of looked the other way because we were like you were saying, go, go, go. You know, we were go, go, going towards the transaction close and kind of there were some red flags that were raised along the way about some competency with the bank and um, should have paid more attention to it, but just kind of turned a blind eye in the hopes that it would all work out because it always had in the past. But, you know, now we've learned to focus on, you know, one, either executing with a transaction with a bank that we've worked with in the past so we don't have those concerns or two, you know, m focusing more intently on that earlier on in the process so we don't have those same sort of surprises so late in the game. Yep. No, I think that's... Uh... I'm sure a lot of people out there listening to this have had similar issues to uh, to yourself when you're trying to get something to the closing table and you just forget the financing track 
a little bit because you just think it would just happen, you know, at a click of a finger or a click of a button. But unfortunately, those sort of things don't, and they can <laughs> they can tend to fall sometimes fall out of place. And um, right. anyway, but look, awesome stuff. Uh, last question, mate, is where can people reach you to continue the conversation? Yeah, um, my email uh, is mark at massiadev.com and um, I'm sure you'll put that in the show notes or whatnot. Yep, but exactly. And then Twitter, Facebook, we're all over social media. But ideally, just you know, shoot me an email and uh, happy to help anybody in any way I can. Awesome stuff, man. Well, thank you so much for jumping jumping on the show today. You've provided some you know incredible advice. Just to do a bit of a recap, I think the biggest takeaway lesson I took today was figuring out your competitive advantage when getting started in MOB or in, in any real estate you know transaction, and and so that can help you get to the next stage, uh, step in your investing career. I think also the the advice you gave about everyone is getting becoming more covered by healthcare, uh, regardless of where we're heading um, with Trump care, Obamacare, it doesn't really matter as long as at the end of the day that you know, you're know you still moving towards a healthier nation and we're living for a longer period of time. And I guess the, the, the other big takeaway for me is you know don't ignore the financing track because that can sometimes hurt you uh, when it comes to closing on uh, a real estate deal. Mate, did I leave anything out? I think this was a pretty awesome show. No, that was great. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Well, thanks, Mark, for dropping in. Enjoy the rest of your week and we'll catch up soon. Thanks, Reed. Take care. Well, there you have it. Another incredible episode jam-packed full of some awesome investing tips and advice. I hope you really got a lot of cracking information out of Mark. He certainly knows his stuff when it comes to MOB, Medical Office Building Investing. If you do have any questions for Mark, please reach out to him. And all the show notes will be up on my website at rsmpropertygroup.com. Any links we mentioned will be up there. So please check it out. Hit up Mark if you have any questions about getting started in the MOB space. All right, guys. Thanks again for taking some time out of your day to tune in, joining me with my incredible guests so that you can increase your financial IQ because that's what we're all about here on this show, making sure that you have the education to increase your financial IQ and go out and make stuff happen and start investing wisely. We're going to do this all again next week. So take care, be safe, and remember, happy investing.